Welcome to I Wish They Knew, a show where leaders in business and education share big ideas that deserve more attention in about the time it takes to enjoy a cup of coffee. I'm Joe Hirsch. Today's wish comes from April Hansen. April is a nurse, tech entrepreneur, workforce expert, and hypergrowth business executive. She's the Executive Vice President of Workforce Solutions and Clinical Services at AYA Healthcare, and her leadership insights have been featured by CBS, CNBC, Forbes, NPR, The New York Times Magazine, Modern Healthcare, Business Insider, and other major outlets. April has twice been named by staffing industry analysts to their list of the Global Power 150, and when she's not on stage or in the boardroom, April is an active mom, snowmobiler, and weekend pizza slinger in her family-owned pizzeria. April, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Joe. I'm excited to be here. So what do you wish more people knew? You know, Joe, I wish more people knew and understood that you don't actually have to go big in order to be big. I live in a town of 900 people. It's kind of like a confession that I make. I'm currently in my basement in a town of 900 people, and I run a giant company that um, is based out of San Diego. So when I sort of think about that, it's kind of a weird story. And people ask me all the time. They're say, they'll say things like, how did that happen? And why do you live there? Almost as if it's like a terrible thing. And when I think about my roots and I think about where I came from, I love coming from a small, being from a small town, living in a small town. And I almost, I think back to the years that I was growing up and I believed wholeheartedly I had to get out of here. I had to leave in order to go aspire to my dreams and to chase those dreams. I didn't believe that they were attainable to me in a small town. I wish that everybody knew and understood that your dreams can be wholly attainable to you within the place that you like to call home, that's most comfortable to you and where you find that you can be your truest self. I think for a lot of folks, whether they come from a big town or a small town, they feel almost like the decisions that they need to make in order to advance are ones that are based on what others think is right instead of what is actually right for them. Did you find that to be true in your case, that you were sort of not only following what you thought was the right path to get to where you wanted to be, but following other people's decisions and determinations of what you should be? 1000%. So I'll give you an example. I graduated as valedictorian of my high school class and the pressure that that put on me psychologically or that I put on myself. I don't even remember where it actually came from, but the pressure to have to go to a, a big name four-year university and, and sort of live that path of like, well, if you're the valedictorian, you must be able to do this. And the truth was I didn't have any money. <laughs> I was broke. And so trying to, to get to that path and to get to that private school, I started making decisions around like, oh, maybe I should take an ROTC scholarship, or maybe I should do these other things just to make somebody else's dream of me going to a big named university come to life. Well, the truth was I did one semester 
at that big name university and I squandered away a, a bunch of money um, that I didn't have. And so I had all these student loans and I moved back home after one semester and I went to our local college in town. And then I ultimately got into nursing school and did an associate's degree. So I was the valedictorian that ended up going to a tech college. And it wasn't until I finally realized the fact that who cares? Like, really, who cares? I, when I finally separated that mentally, it became so much clearer to me. And that was the first catalyst for, for my career in healthcare and leadership because I was actually pursuing what I wanted to do. And that was to take care of people. And so the path of how I got there, although it wasn't what other people probably considered to be conventional, it didn't really matter at the end of the day. And I was able to get out of school with a lot less debt um, and be able to get there in a pathway that worked for me and worked for my set of circumstances at the time. That's a great example of a decision that was made for you, that was right for you and, and not for anyone else. And I imagine there's leadership applications here for organizations across all industries. I mean, especially being in healthcare and seeing what has happened over the course of the pandemic and our response to it, the companies that are making smart decisions that are good for others and good for their businesses are the ones that were really doing well during a time that was really hard. What do you think others can learn from your experiences leading a large healthcare organization and making decisions that largely impacted the course of people's care and the course of their business success? I think that's a great question, Joe. So I think of this in a couple of different ways. First of all, organizations can hurt people and organizations can also help people. And so as a leader in an organization, regardless of how big, how small, what industry you're in, it's really stepping back and understanding, is my organization responsible for how people are doing, whether that's good or bad. And understanding, have we put policies in place or do we have protocols written or unwritten that ultimately make people have a, a worse life or a better life? Um, are we driving things that, that are stealing joy? and ultimately hurting people emotionally, mentally, physically. And it's important to understand at the end of the day, we, should do, we shouldn't do any harm to the people that, that are trusted in our care as leaders and as business owners. And we should be able to provide elements where each of those individuals can thrive in a way that feels good for them, whether that's having a schedule that works for them and their families. And that's become so apparent after the pandemic, um, thinking about populations that are disproportionately impacted and remain disproportionately impacted, like mothers with young children. Do we have an opportunity where our workplace and the environment that we've created actually affords them the opportunity to come to work and to do well and to be well. And so I think about organizations in that way. I also think about the opposite. Um, maybe it's not the opposite, but I also think about the tangential opportunities of organizations to think about how they can promote the growth of their business at the same time, promoting the growth of the individuals within their business. And we use this phrase a lot at IO. We kind of pull leaders up through the ranks. And so you're kind of looking into the depths of your company and you're seeing those people that have formed such a strong attachment to the work where it's, it's a healthy attachment. They're achieving joy and growth personally and professionally through that work. 
and they're they're really really rock they're they're demonstrating rock star capability in their role and so if you think only in terms of the building block sort of the jenga game the one person has to come on to the next has to come on to the next in order to get those people there you could be wrong you could be missing an opportunity to elevate a rock star inside the company so one of the other areas that i think leaders have to have to really look at critically in their business especially in times of mass chaos is do you need to pull people up through the ranks? And are those people doing really, really well? And if they are, do some skipping, kind of skip them right to the place that they're going to make the biggest impact because other people working under those leaders will also thrive. And so it's important that you're kind of putting those people in the right spots. Yeah. So building capacity with the people that you already have and tapping into the talent that already exists. You're exactly right. What are some things that organizations aren't doing great when it comes to making decisions? Oh, stalling, absolutely stalling. And you know what I think is just decimating to decision-making is decision by committee. Because you look around, I mean, you very rarely see a statue of a committee, right? Like, you know, if you kind of look around, like the people that have really changed the world, you can name them and they're accountable and they made bold, brave moves. and. If you think about this inside a committee, who really owns that decision? Because what ends up happening is people that are afraid of not being liked might not speak up. People that are afraid of being chastised for saying what they really think might not speak up. And instead, you kind of get this like bobblehead groupthink mentality that happens. And it's even worse in our virtual world of decision making, because what do you show up to? You show up to a meeting that's sort of a blank computer screen with a bunch of little invisible bubbles, and you're thinking business is going to happen and decisions are going to be made. It's not. People are, you know, we're all, we're all human. We're like multitasking. We have a ton of stuff that's going on. And and nobody really wants to make those decisions. So this sort of like inaction, this inability to make decisions, and a lot of times it's structural based on how we've decided the decision was going to be made, it can be decimating to companies and you end up in this place of stagnation and nothing really happens. And the world is changing really, really fast around all of us. Competitors of yours are likely figuring it out and they're doing it faster and they're taking risks faster. Colin Powell has a great line that I like to talk about in some of the, the talks that I get to give. And it's sort of this 40-70 rule in decision-making. You may have heard of this. If you wait until you have 70% of the information, you've probably been too slow. And if you make decisions with less than 40%, you might not have enough information. So it's really kind of this sweet spot. But then I question that back to companies and I say, who's monitoring for the 4070? Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think it makes a huge difference. The, on the one end, you've got decision fatigue, people who just are so tired by making all these decisions, and then decision paralysis, where they can't even make any decisions. And so finding that sweet spot seems to be the ideal for action, but also intention. You're exactly right. And I think too, that people have to call it out when they're fatigued by decisions. I've gotten better at this. I'm still not great. I can just yesterday, recency example, right? Like I was over making any more decisions in that day. And when the poor people at the end of the day came to me saying, we need you to do this. And I lost it. Um, it was, you know, probably not the greatest thing, but I'm also open about what those sort of sharp edges are of mine where it's like, Hey, you know what? That brain cell washed away. 
Like I'm going to have to go recharge my batteries a little bit before I can actually be capable to make that decision. And I think sometimes in companies, we don't do a decent enough job understanding different people's roles and the pressure that comes with those roles and kind of everything that lands on their plate, you know, because there's kind of this natural course of escalation. Like if I can't make the decision and this person can't, and maybe they don't have the approval authority, whatever it is, then it kind of rolls uphill. And then you have to think about like, okay, I'm coming to this person needing this something. What did they just actually handle in the last 30 minute call that they were on? And what did somebody else need of them? And so I think there's an opportunity for people that are coming up through the ranks to think about, and I think this is kind of natural, but you have to think about how do I make this easier for the decision to be made? How do I serve up the information in a way to whoever it is that has to make the decision that it's so digestible because I've done the homework, I've positioned it in a way where they just basically have to say yes or no, and they don't have to go give me the direction to run around and do the homework. I think sometimes we're so quick to think that we can't make the decision. So instead we bubble it up to somewhere else where in reality, you actually could make the decision and you could make it that much easier for your boss. And I'll tell you, that's a great way to stand out is to bring them bite-sized nuggets where they can say yes or no and great job on the investigation. The next time they need something hard figured out, they're going to come to you and that's how you get promoted, right? So just dumping stuff on your boss's plate, it's not going to render better business. Making good decisions for yourself, making good decisions for others. April, thanks for sharing your wish with us today. Thanks so much, Joe. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please rate and review the show. It helps others find us. For more ideas on how to communicate with impact, visit my website, joehirsch.me. See you next time.